Welcome back to another episode of It's Go Time. Yeah, upgrade. I have a question for you. Why is America follows a completely different metric system to the rest of the world? It's power. America. What power? How is that power? Explain that to me. How is that power? Because now you're forcing it's everyone else to use your yes, system. Yes, it's it. power. Just Imagine like what? Yeah. You use kilometers and then you're coming and you say miles. So now you're forcing the other person to use your system. If you bend to my will, I have yeah. more power and can dictate where the stuff is going to go. It's, 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 it's power at the end of the day. It is. Just like it is. how... It's more cumbersome to me than anything else. In a sense. It's majorly cumbersome. Separate yourself from those and make yourself an elitist. I feel like your accent's a little different with the hat on. I feel like you're yeah, a different person. Uh, hey, um, let's talk about this hat now. Uh, let's talk about this hat. Tell us, tell us the, the origins What's of the this cowboy. <laughs> the, actually, the hat has a very cool one. Well, I don't know about cool. So I got this hat in Vegas. So I wasn't one of those like bandwagoners that moved down to, uh, <laughs> to, to Texas and got a hat. So I was in Vegas. It was when I sold my house. Before I left, I was hanging out with this guy who, um, he was, you lost. No, I'm You're good. getting lost in the sauce. Don't get lost <laughs> in the sauce. Uh, so I started hanging out with, with this guy who, now he's like a part of the Raiders. He's does stuff with Bitcoin and all that. So before I left, he was um, trying to mentor me. He was like trying to advise me not to go to Texas. He was like, stay, stay, stay. And his whole thing was, he was the black cowboy. He goes... You know, as a black man, I wanted to wear a hat to solidify my standing. So just like how you said, why America do things differently than other countries, it's a status symbol. We want to embark on a journey that separates us from those who have and those who don't have. So his whole take was, you know, I wear this hat to symbolize myself a difference from other men or other people that's like me. So I started hanging out with him and some of his boys and all that and... um he was like, you should get a hat. I mean, you're moving to Texas. It will make sense for you to have oh a hat. Boy. I was like, okay. I didn't even know how much these hats cost. This thing <laughs> is a Stetson. I know. Oh, I $289 for this hat. A real, this is a real cowboy's That's hat. A, yeah, Stetson, Not that flimsy, no joke. fugazi. <laughs> fugazi. This is, this is that panache, you know? So that's, that's the story behind. So then, um, uh, he kind of mentored me a little bit and then uh, embarked on my journey to Texas. And now the hat I utilize when I go door knocking. I know you so. told you spoke about how it's such a good uh, icebreaker. Like it, it is. It, it, it like puts a lot of people at ease. Is that is that the first thing people notice? Yes. I know it is the first for me. As soon as you put it on. It, it's, it, and it changes you. It's like cloak. It's like Harry Potter with the cloak on, right? So when I, when I put this on... It basically eradicates the fact that I'm a black man knocking on a stranger's door. And every single time people look at the hat, they'll comment the hat first before they comment me. doesn't matter if my smile look good. doesn't matter if I'm stressed nice, the outfit. No one cares. First thing to say, I like your hat. Okay. So now I'm going to start wearing the hat a little bit more. So it's that cloak of the deceptiveness. I'm not here to do no harm. I'm here to do good. And if you look at the American history with cowboys, so a lot of people don't really understand the whole uh, derivative behind cowboy, the saying cowboys. So when it's stated cowboys, that's actually derived from black uh, people within the servant's house. So they would say, hey, boy, go get the cow. Boy, go get this. So mm. then they took it and made it cool. And then Westerners took it and make it something of a popularizing this how I make a movie. But cowboys definition actually came from a racial slang Slavery. that then became popularized with people That's being amazing. in the country working on fields and stuff now like you're that. Owning it. It's fascinating because because like say say that that uh, uh, the slang part of it, the how how you said how the word came about, uh, like in South Africa that would not be derogatory. Mm. For you to call your son or to call someone a boyki or a, a boy, you're not. You, there's no connotation of slavery or anything behind well, it. I think it depends on how you're saying it though. It and depends on how you're saying, saying it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so like like I have a close friend of mine over here that uh, they, he tells me, you know, his mother they're South African, white white South African, and his mother keeps on calling him Boyki. Boyki and boy in front of his friends and I said, You can't do that here. You know, people will take it the wrong way. 
But that's just the culture over there. Well, I think boy key is different than when you say boy. Mm. And depending on how stern you say things too, right? And if that person is fragile within themselves, then they're going to take it as an insult. Correct, yeah. So it just all depends on how you say it, you know? It's like the N-word. Most people say the N-word, black, Asian, whatever. Uh, but there's still the connotation behind the N-word. It's, still, it's not something good that you should be saying, but black people have popularized it as a way of, like, endearment to those other people that it deemed to be like themselves. But then if you look at the narrative behind the N-word, it was uh, a meaning of ignorance, stupid, you know? But then you, are, you add an hard ER at the end, then it's something different, right? It's more derived towards someone that is, um, you know, dumb, stupid, whatever it is. So I don't know. I feel it, we are fascinating creatures, and I think that... Uh, so you think if that is the true meaning of the N-word, you could call anybody that? You can. <laughs> but you got to think the people that but, they but were it's, projecting it's not, it's not it towards... It's not a definition of it. It's a definition of it. That's what it is. So that's why, yeah. it's it's how you're using it to to you know express. If it's self hatred, and you say it with such passion, because I can say something to you and we could laugh about it, but it's not something that that's coming from my heart. But if I say it and you could feel it within you when I say it, and my demeanor change, then I'm really truly meaning what I'm saying. Correct. Yes, you know. Yes. So it, I guess everything derived from how much you feel within yourself when you say things. So, so oh, go, ahead, go ahead. Question is, do you wear the cowboy boots with the cowboy hat? I don't wear boots. As you can see, I got these Hocus. sexy hokas on. I love those hokas. My, my love got these for me for, uh, for Christmas, and I thank her every single day when I put this on because it helps me a lot. But uh, I would never, I don't like cowboy boots. It's not my thing. Have you tried one on? I've never tried one on, but oh. I just feel uh, some. It's, it looks too uncomfortable. Some people swear by them. Some yeah, I, so, so, so apparently, according to some, it's like a breaking process. Like yeah. so, when you buy it, it's super hard, and then you have to like wade in, get it's a. Like it looks uncomfortable, leather. regardless of what it is. <laughs> huh? It looks uncomfortable. It like does. to me, wearing this and wearing a cowboy boot to go knock. I'm walking more hours in this. Yeah. Then I am with a cowboy boot. You come back with some so bunions and now I worked boots. at a Dolce and Gabbana. So my, my life in Vegas, before I got in the car business, I uh, I saw Woman Fragrance. That was my first job. Woman's Fragrance? Yeah. I was okay. a smooth talker. And to you, who was, what was the best woman's fragrance at the time? After, I mean, mainly men would come <laughs> in. A lot of women didn't really come in buying. I mean, they did, obviously, uh, but I, I don't recall. I mean, it was so, so I was 18 at that time, 18, right, 19, so I don't really recall. Uh, but Paco Rabanne, obviously from Mills, one of the top-selling, uh, Creed, one of the top-selling brand um, as well. Uh, but Soul Woman Fragrance sold um, Calvin Klein clothing. And then from there, I went to work for Dolce & Gabbana. So I, I bring that up because when we think about elegance and opulence, we think, you know, high fashion. But some of these high fashion stuff, they're crap. Dolce & Gabbana shoes, they hurt my feet like no one's else's <laughs> business. They were trash. <laughs> you know, you're spending a thousand whatever it is. You want something yeah, comfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Cushioned. I spent 165 on this and I'm walking on Claude 10. So it's that. like, w which one would you rather have? I'm but, you, you know, again, it's preference. It is preference, yeah. Uh, I don't wear Dolce & Gabbana, but I mean... But I mean, I'm proud of you today. <laughs> <laughs> He did not get that reference. I looked at I looked at it. I said, "I'm proud of you." He's like, "I'm proud of you." I said, "Bro, you got Prada shoes on. What do you mean?" <laughs> but it looks nice. I like your shoes today. It looks very nice. You're a very uh, fashionable man. I don't know where you where where do you get your fashion sense from? Like who who provided you with the understanding of fashion when you were younger? Oh sure, I have to sit up. Wow, he's adjusting himself. <laughs> So, I think I think my fashion sense came to me. wasn't in school. I think it was it was when I finished school um, in, in first second year of university. I I started paying more attention to the clothing I wear. And uh, I mean, prior to that, I I was in uh, madrasa. So a lot of my schooling life from from the ages of seven to sixteen and. 16 i was uh, learning the quran 
So I had to wear the tawb every day for so many years, for nine years. So there was no real fashion sense. There's there. no I mean, tawb behind what you're wearing. There's no tawb. You just <laughs> throw <laughs> on this robe and you carry on, you know. And then, yeah, so it was it was definitely after school. And um, having a clothing store within our family. So, I mean, over 100 years, we, we have our store in South Africa. Um, it's a, it used to be a men's tailoring store. It's still a men's clothing store. So that helped. And, and my dad, my dad, I think my dad is a big uh, influence on me. My dad's pretty fashionable. Hmm. He's a very fashionable guy. And uh, he knows how to dress. And I think it rubbed off on me. When you dress, uh, do you feel that you, you're in essence, like, obviously dressing a style is a form of uh, self-expression. Mm. But do you think it does more to you than just self-expressing yourself? Like, does it change your demeanor when you put certain so clothes like look on? look good, feel good. That's the idea for me every morning. So so I'm, I, I'm in the habit of taking out my clothing the night before, right? And what happened, Samira, my, my wife, laughs at this because um, I'll change what I took out. If I took out a specific pair of jeans and a t-shirt and whatever the night before, the next morning I change it. It's it's like, because in the morning that I wake up, I don't feel like wearing what I took out. And I'll wear something else. And um, I wear things to make me feel good in the morning. It's not for anybody else. If you notice, I don't copy anybody's fashion trend. I try to uh, create my own. So you so never wear a cowboy hat? I do wear cowboys. I'm not cowboy I wear, like fedoras I wear, I wear fedoras all the time. But the question it. is, would you ever wear a cowboy hat? Of course I would wear okay, a cowboy hat. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm heavy into peacocking. Peac- what's peacocking? Okay, so peacocking is a theory. There was actually a book I read many, many <laughs> years ago. So it's a theory that... Your, uh, make sure your your uh, watchers' mind don't go in the gutter when they, when they hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. So, so peacocking is actually a theory. You, you can look it up. Uh, that men dress up in a certain way or with certain things like a hat or, or earrings or, or whatever because you, you're creating attention for yourself. So p- generally men peacock when they go out to nightclubs. They go mm. out and they want to pick up ladies. So it, it creates attention to you. So even if you if you dress or wear something different, you basically peacock. Mm. You, you're like a peacock you with the its head feathers to the club. fanned <laughs> out and you are attracting people to you. And to your aura, to your to yeah, your you might be in the book. Yeah. So it's so book. funny you bring that up. So th- um, obviously, when you watch National uh, Geographic, they mm-hmm. talk about every single animal in the in the animal kingdom. They um, especially like the males. They do something very flamboyant. Exactly. And very vigorous. That's peacocking. Yeah. Yes. But why is it that it's the male and not the female? But yet in our society as human, it's like you know we. People put women on such a high pedestal, but it's like, yo, we as men got to come in and show out too. Yeah, but I think I think men are, well, I are doing know. that. I think I think not all of them. Not all. Some of these. Do, I be seeing some of these guys at a uh, legacy <laughs> wife dressed to the nine. They got shorts and sandals on. And I'm just like, bro, what are you doing? Your wife is, I don't know. It's a, again, it's weird different. society. It's when. different. I I I think I think for me, dressing up, it's it's. This is how I'm feeling for the day. I like it. Uh, yeah, what you see me wear in the day is uh, what I'm. If I'm if I'm feeling depressed or something, you will see it in my clothing for sure. I noticed yesterday. Yesterday. I don't remember what you wore yesterday. I don't remember what. You I had wore. a jacket on and a scarf. It was all dark. It was all dark. <laughs> yeah, this outfit was very dark <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Do you uh like you mentioned how he he plans his outfits? Do you do that or you wake up? I don't. In the I wake up. Uh, my. My thing, um, what I've noticed with me, and it's not me ver- being very facetious or just like egotistical, but I realized that the amount of effort that I put in my body, I could pull, doesn't matter what it is on, and it's going to look good. Mm. So to mm. me, mm. it's like, I just wake up I and so as long as I feel it, shut right there that's it. The arm. You know, I see, I see people, you know, go spend thousands of dollars on Gucci, Louis, Fendi, this and that. It doesn't it's make like, you look good. It doesn't look. Doesn't you just look like a walking sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah, you look like a walking sticker, yeah. like a refrigerator. Someone just put stickers that, on what's you. That, <laughs> what's that saying? Wait, it's not about. It's not about how. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's how you wear the clothes, or something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. well, so it's, it's the same thing. That, if you look at like uh, nothing beats an H and M T shirt. Do you know that? 
An H&M t-shirt is one NYT. of the most phenomenal things that I've discovered in my life. Well, it's not even just, we're taking it one step further. So <laughs> last summer, well, when I first started running, um, I I would run through Legacy Hall. Um, and, you know, I'll see, and, and, you know, as a kid, you deem success by people cars, right? And I'm a car guy. You know, I don't talk it, but I love cars. I, I sit there sometime and drool over Lambos, Ferraris, and all these other stuff, right? And, um, you know, I'm running, and I'm seeing they have all these Lambos parked in front of Legacy. And I'm like, man, man, that would be so awesome. But then one of my friends said, look at some of these guys that drive these cars. They're fat, they're unhealthy, they're overweight, but you're a guy who's in a Ferrari. So which one would you rather have? So perspective-wise, I'm the guy looking at your car and, and, and idolizing it. You're probably looking at me and like, damn, I wish I looked like that. Hundred percent right. So you know, when when that perspective hit me, I was just like, wow, like you, you truly, you know. I I'll tell you something, Mihara, is that the richest people in the world. If you look at, let's take uh, Elon Musk, or Warren let's Buffett, take, uh, even uh, Facebook, uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Do you see the clothing? S- I mean, well, it's t-shirt. not simple. Because what I noticed, when you get to upper level with these people, they're wearing name brand stuff, but it's very it's bland it's to us. Yes, but they're like twenty thousand dollars for some stuff. But understood, understood. And and you got Bruno Cucinelli, you got uh, Loro Piana. They do those things. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's now beyond Gucci and everything. Yeah. Remember, people that buy Gucci and 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 and, and all Fendi and all these all these products, especially the clothing. That, that stand out, stuff. the flashy stuff, they are trying to prove something to society. People that have money got nothing to prove. That's why the people that are really wealthy, you don't see them drive Ferraris or Lamborghinis. Honda Civic or CRV. Or CRV, or even a Toyota Corolla that's 15 years old. They said most billionaires drive F-150s. Millionaire and billionaire drive trucks. Of course. I believe it. If you, I'm sure Mark Cuban will drive a truck. Yeah. I'm sure Elon Musk drives the Tesla. Yeah, he I'm does. Sure exactly. Yeah. I'm sure because you see that does not matter. Yeah. After you reach, reach it, who, who do I have to prove what to? But then, it's so that's a good segment because then it leaves you with that question, right? Why is it that ninety or eighty percent of the population then we we have like this um, impression complex? Because if people who have money live life very simplistically. Why is everyone else trying to prove and validate and do certain things to show other people who don't really matter their success? I think it's it's just... Is it innate? Like, it's just within us? We, yeah, I think mm. that's it. I think in the society we live society. in, when you don't have what you see somebody else have, then you want to be able to get there or kind of show that you're there or act like you're there in some way. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just feel like it's, I guess like peacocking, right? You're just yeah. trying to attract the attention. To that's true. Some, something that's all about. It's the lore of life, I guess. Yeah. Human nature. One thing that's on my mind right now, so when I was younger, you know, obviously, um, when, you, when I look at my, I was at the barber shop yesterday, getting my hair cut, and, um, you know, everyone there, they're talking and stuff like that. And growing up, when I lived in Minneapolis, I realized at a young age, being in the U.S., you got to be like a chameleon. You got to be able to adapt to any single situation. So I I was talking to my girl years ago, and I was like, you're very, you're smart as can be. Brilliant. But she's mainly book smart. And I was like, street smart, you don't really have. She, she thought it was an insult. I was like, no, 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 like, I'll explain it. Because for me, I feel like I'm the perfect chameleon. I could talk to anyone. If you want to talk ignorant, I can talk ignorant. If you want to talk sophisticated, I'll do my best and try to sound like I'm sophisticated, but I could do the same. But what I find so fascinating is, you know, like that book that uh, you're showing over there, making people feel at ease and feel comfortable to have conversation with you. It's one of the most brilliant thing. And I've been really trying to not trying, but working on um, bettering my communication skills because you never know. It's just like your clothes, right? Your clothes can make someone feel different when they see you. It can enlighten them. It can make them feel mad. It can make them feel sad. It could whatever it is, right? And the same comes with like conversation. And um, I think one of the greatest things just to kind of give you guys props and everyone out there that has a podcast, I think it's the best outlet to work on conversation 
course, and communication. Because even like the topics we're having, we may not all be 100% on it. My fashion sense is ne- nowhere near how I see you dress on a daily basis. Oh, you show. But I could put my two cents in and, and speak eloquently about the matter. And, you know, we could kind of have a, a conversation on what you feel and everything else. But I think us as people, what we don't take into consideration is how can we every single day get better at our communication? Because regardless of how much money you have or don't have, if you know how to talk, you know how to do anything. So I say that to say when I was young, you know, one of the things I used to get made fun of when I was uh, going to school, you know, people would be like, oh, you're a skater, you wear skinny jeans, this dude is this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you want to be white, you think you know it all. I'm like, listen, you live in a society right now. If you can't speak, you can't verbalize how you feel, you can't go far. You got people right now who's running multi-billion dollar company. Half of them don't even have degrees. Half of them didn't go to school. Some of them, I don't want to say half, but some of them didn't. You know, they just figure out a way just to be good at uh, conversing and um, just making a way to life. But I always thought that was fascinating. You know, when I when I got made fun of in school, I, like I never understood it. But then as I got older and I started dissecting and, uh, you know, seeing how things are in life, it's, it's kind of changed my perspective on that and made me want to. Just work on my my verbal cues and things along those lines. It's very important. I think what you're doing to uh, learning how to communicate effectively is one of the most important tools a human can can in any learn. environment. I mean, uh, going going for uh, going to multiple therapists in my life and counselors and and so on, whether it be in in your relationships, uh, whether that's at home or your your spouse your colleagues, whatever. It is so important to be able to express yourself in a way that they can understand and take in. You know, communication within a marriage is is, is utmost importance because you don't want to ha- have a situation where I am telling you something, you are construing it to mean something completely different than what I'm trying to explain to you. So, so that is why it's so important, especially when when it comes to marriage counseling. Marriage counseling, they work on communication a lot, and how to check in with each other and so on. Similarly, with coaching, similarly with other th- therapy that you do, it's it's communication and and how do you express yourself verbally? A lot of issues uh, when it comes to depression and anxiety and so on is people can't express what's troubling them. That is the one of the the baselines. Hey, why am I so depressed? I'm having these thoughts of depression. It's a mental disease. Do you understand that? But the more you hold it in and you cannot talk to someone about it, the more it's going to affect you more. And you have to have an outlet. Every human being needs an outlet. Someone to talk to. Someone to express. I think one of the uh, the biggest factors with my recovery was learning how to communicate. I Mm. never knew how to communicate before that. What do you think that was? What do you think that stemmed from? (coughs) It's it's having it's a, it's a cultural thing too. It's a us, cultural right? thing because a lot of times it's like, oh, you depressed? Like it's not a real thing. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, I, I say that. I feel like, um, especially, I, I mean, I'm anywhere in the world, really. But uh, I think as you go towards like um, in the African continent, uh, the continent of Africa, like um, I think as males, tribally, doesn't matter if you're talking about a place that is mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia where they got a stupid amount of money or you're living in the desert, it doesn't really matter. Or, mm-hmm. But I say that to say, I think that's one of the things, right? If you're a male, you got to be very stern and like stoic. No emotion. Yeah, no emotion. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, it's a stereotypical male, alpha male. That's yeah. what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Doesn't look like that. No, man. A true man is a man that cries. Mm. Is a man that can be vulnerable. I like that. Emotion. Because if you can be vulnerable with someone, you win someone's trust. Easiest communication. I'm sure you read it in that book. Uh, no. And you, 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 if you can show vulnerability to someone, you're winning over their trust and they will be vulnerable to you. A lot of, I, I think what, what uh, really did help me. So the relationship I'm in right now has been one, one of my longest. And uh, we met. Years ago at the gym, now we're making uh, almost 10 years of friendship, almost five years of uh, being together. But when we first started, you know, so we've been getting personal. You talked about your addiction. My biggest addiction growing up when I was young was porn. I was a porn addict. 
And I never saw help, but I knew it myself. Like, that was my thing. You know, when you're a young kid, your parent introduced you to a website. And you're 11 years old. You're like, what is this? I've never seen this before. You started giggling first. Yo, I was was peacocking. (laughs) But, you know, that's just being real. So I I say that to say, so, you know, when when we first started, it was just everything. It wasn't me trying to know her or any other woman in the past. It was all derived from sexual preferences. And now, four years in, it's it's completely different, right? Like, a lot of what I do, because I feel people will bend backwards to prove other people that they interact with how good they are. But then when it comes to their loved ones or people that truly care about them, like, I realize... I'll bend backwards for my client, but then the woman that's willing to do any and everything for me, I'm not willing to bend anywhere close to as much as I would for my client, right? I wouldn't sit there to really listen to her. I wasn't asking questions. I wasn't being empathetic enough. Like, I wasn't going on to the root of, like, what needs to happen in our relationship. So I took a step back, and I started now, you know, listening intensively, asking questions, really understanding, because what, what I'm, I've been realizing Man, when you take pride in appreciating those that love you and those who are there to really want the best of you, there's nothing better than that. Because other people don't want the best for you. They yeah, show you, you a slip. You exactly. So, you know, it's it's just one of the things you, you, you know, you touch based on it. It's like relationship. That's the hardest thing. But it teaches you, too. I mean, five years in, not my wife yet, but just how far we've come and, like, the vulnerability aspect, being able to share certain things with her. And her herself, it's like, wow, like, it helps you internally become a greater and better person. So, yeah. I love it. And the partner you choose has to become your best friend. Oh, yeah. Ah, at first, it's hunky-dory, having sex all the time and everything. But that's not, I mean, that's not the end-all and be-all of everything. You have to have someone to talk to, someone that can cry with you, laugh with you. That's those are all the important things, right? Someone that can be there. That's real life. That's real life, and you need a pillar. The lady behind you is really your strength, mm-hmm. especially for us men, and we must realize that. And uh, most successful men had a strong lady by their side. Yeah. Eventually, they divorced them. I'm sure. Also, <laughs> they were very wealthy ones, like Jeff Bezos or someone. But I, th- but, I think. But same with Elon Musk. Yeah. But but it's. Uh, but then it's a different stage. But I f- still feel it's so important that, that, that your partner that you choose has to be your best friend, someone you can talk to about anything and everything. But do you think like those guys who come very str- – because I, I think with people like that, they get caught up in the – it's like how people say, right, if you want success, you have to sacrifice, right? And I think for some of those people who become ultra-wealthy, at some point they love their partner and significant other. But then it's like – because you look at – for instance, Jeff Bezos, his wife, stuck to and thin, helped this man create a trillion-dollar company, leaves her, get this one, like, dom of a freaking yeah, girl now, and it's like, she bro. The payout and half. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but it's like, man, is are what you it, happy million? with? Oh, it was, no, it was 20 billion. Or yeah, it was yeah. some crazy number. Billion, and now yeah, she, yeah. she's with a teacher, and she donates and stuff, and then he's with this woman. But, uh, you know, it just... It it just sh- it shows you one money can get you whatever you want, but are you truly happy with what money can get you? Right, right. Because if you have a woman who is willing to be in the garage to help you build this company, you leave her, and then you go get this woman who doesn't understand the the, the pitfalls, the the anguish. Because like for me, I every day I, I give thanks because you know being in the seat sitting here and talking to y'all. There's nights where, like, this entrepreneur journey, it beats you, man. Mm. You know, and you got to sit there and, like, every day, like, oh, man, what is going on? I, I need to achieve my goals this year. I mean, the whole, what's like, what's happening? And you have this small voice, like, everything's going to be good. Just keep going. You know, and it's not like a voice in your head. It's like the person in your corner. Mm-hmm. Like, keep going. And then when you lose that person and you make it big, it's like anyone else would not really understand that. Right. And so that's one of my things. I'm just like, man, I I pray every day that I get to keep this relationship that I have with her going because she's seeing like the car, you know, the trying to figure out where to park to go sleep uh, when when you lose your apartment, you know, not having funds, taking care of your bills. Like she understands, 
you know, and she and she knows like, man, but then what she, I'm doing, I'm thinking I'm failing in life. But then she's looking at it it's like, man, you're teaching me, too, because you're growing as a person. You're not taking any pitfalls that come about as a loss. You're learning from it. You're adapting to it and you're growing from it. So, yeah, it's, it's been a very symbiotic uh, relationship and, and one of the, the greatest thing. That's amazing. That's awesome, I just yeah. I, I love what you just said, and I think it's important for the listeners to 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 take in what you said uh, about about your self growth and and how you for every failure you learn from it and just push you on. Have to. And, and you have yeah, to. you got to look at the bigger that picture. That is being so positive the, the and that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I like that. Honestly, I feel every time we have this conversation, I I love doing this because what I'm what I've been noticing is that those who ask questions control the conversation. So I'm going to give you the floor since I've been talking for so long. <laughs> what question do you want to ask me, my guy? <laughs> the questions I want to ask you is, do you think if you had not, I mean, you've really done well uh, this last year and this year with, you, with your listings and being an agent and so on in, in Dallas, do you think it would have been different if you didn't have that cowboy hat? I don't think it's the cow. So the cowboy hat is for me to make people feel at ease with me. Okay. That's what a cowboy hat is for. I think Mahada as Mahada still would I would still be doing what it is that needs to be done regardless. Okay. Because within me, I know every day I have to go get it right. It's not. It, it doesn't matter what hat, what jacket, what shoes, what car. In me is me. You know what I'm saying? So if I wake up, I go to the gym, that's me. It's not someone else. So the hat is for people because, again, as much as we want to talk and people don't want to talk about this, so since we're on this podcast, racism is a real thing. People do feel afraid of other people and other race. 100%. So if I can cut that narrative. Especially in their own home. Exactly. That narrative in half and make you feel at ease and make you feel that I'm not a threat. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure you you feel like there's not a threat here. And if you look at like the white culture, especially being in Texas, the glorified cowboys. Right. So if this is something that's going to make you feel at ease, hey, I'll put that thing on and be your Tom. Uh, what is it? Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> I throw that cowboy hat on. Let's go ahead. Let's make it happen. You know, because at, at some point, I'm speaking to your. So in that book that I have, um, to talk about how to speak to your to the person's inner child. Okay. And there's certain things that you do, right? Um, you'll notice when I come in, something I'll compliment you guys, right? But that's my way of being sincere in a sense too, but also to make you feel giddy about yourself. You know. So there's certain things we do as human, but we don't really think about it when we do Have it, you right? Notice after you read that, did you notice that I do that to everybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you start noticing. But you when you just do it, it's yeah. like you don't understand why you're doing it. You but now when you understand my it, every day it comes in. But now I was feeling too good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but now yeah, every day I come in and I tell someone, "Hey, you, you're looking cool." Yeah, yeah. because it, I, I, so I also read that in the book. To be honest with you. And it was it was a while ago, and uh, and and how you can change someone's mood, someone um, you can change uh, someone's perception of you. You can. There's so many things that just that does. I mean, also also hand gestures by talking to a gentleman and 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 to create trust. Just putting your hand on the shoulder. And 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 greeting them or hold or shaking their hand in a certain way. There's like a whole science behind when you shake yes, someone's hand. and, and you hold it. It is a power position, and it all works. It. I've yeah. tried all of that. <laughs> and it actually you know what works. I what I learned the it's other amazing. day. So yeah. when I shook, when I used to shake hands, obviously a firm grip is the biggest thing. But I would take my index and I'll put it all the way back here. Oh, Why? Like, like, like yeah. but. There was a guy, I've been listening to this guy, He's uh, he was with the FBI for like 25 or 28 years. His name is um, Joe Navarro. And he said, a handshake like this, you should not do. I never understood. He's like, when you do that, that's more of a sexual gesture. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> with the finger? Yeah. Oh. Cause like, and then it could also cause that person to feel offensive too. So and once he said that, and I mean, you got to think, this dude that's studies body shape. language. Exactly. <laughs> that's that zest. 
That's really that's zesty. that zest, you know. That's, you shake a guy's hand, you go like yeah, this. Yeah, you yeah, might, you might hit the one where yeah. he's like, "Yo, yeah. what are you trying to do at five PM?" You know, you do that with. You the trying sticky. to really take that cowboy hat off? You do that. You do that with the sticky eyes. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, look, there's certain things. Again, if you don't understand it, you're doing it. You think you're doing something good, but I, since he said it, I stopped. <laughs> and I and I learned about it like about a few weeks ago, and I I've been trying to stop because again to break a habit is so hard. And I did it. I went on a listening appointment, and I did it, and I saw the look in the guy's face, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh shoot!" To where I had to shake his hand again to make sure that wasn't the last impression I left on him, uh. because for some people that's a power dynamic. Some some inner circle that is. Their way of, you know, whatever it is, maybe it'd be a cult. Maybe that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know, you know, because we see it and we're like, oh, I'm going to go try that. But you don't know what the narrative oh, behind yes. it is. So, you know, when I when I heard that from that guy, he's like, yeah, don't do not do that. And since then, I've been just trying to do the yeah. firm you grip. That's it. Such a handshake. Yeah, yeah. Hit each other's hands. You know, yeah. you know, grab the shoulder. Yeah. And, you know, do a two-hand. <laughs> But no, so like you said, with the with the arm on the shoulders, for me when I knock, if I want to get closer to someone, I'll do something in the sense of like, let's say I'm talking about a house that I have listed or someone else has listed. I'll pull the Zillow listing. I'm like, oh, let me show you, and I'll try. So they said if you could get close to someone juggler, right? Because if you're talking canine, if you look at like animals and stuff. If a big tiger comes in, they go on their back and they get very playful, or they'll show their neck. When you expose your neck, you feel at ease because that's the closest you can get to killing someone, right? So if I can get close to your neck, that's going to make you feel trust me too. So there's very science and rudimentary thing that goes into body language that we don't take into account. And that, as of lately, I've just been obsessed trying to learn about it because, again, we're such fascinating creatures, and every single day we don't understand like how to make other people feel at ease with us. So it's these little merits that's out there. I'm trying to figure it out just because I, I, for what we do or what you do, I do when it comes to real estate, it's the people. Of right? course. So how can you make everyone that you meet? Not everyone's going to trust me and like me and want to do business with me. But if I can leave an impression with you, that's going to be something of like, wow, you changed my mind. You know, like I come to your door, I knocked on your door. I'm a black dude. I got a cowboy hat on. If I leave and you call me the next day and tell me, you know, I used to be racist and I'm not racist anymore, well, shoot, that's cool, which is a true story that happened. No, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, so that's that's the whole thing. So the hat doesn't really define me. I, I feel regardless of the hat or whatever else I will still be doing what needs to be done because at the end, I just want to make change, you know. I, I see your thing on the wall. What is it? The purpose of life is to find your, what does it say? No, your your your. The goal in life is to find your purpose find and give it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to find Share your gift you. and then your purpose in life is to give that gift away. And that's it. Yeah. You know, so the gift of communication, the gift of just being over. Like yesterday, we we, uh, we need to. This was I think this was this was a good chat that we having, but I think we need to do a, a follow up and dive into some of the little like more intricacies of. of the things that you communication skills. Thing, I, I mean, just skimming through this book earlier, there was a couple of things that I picked up on where I know I need to go back and read and like. It's learn a good a book, more. man. And I'm maybe share with like a few specific tips, like uh, you know, on the next one, uh, you know, things that you've tried while knocking or new things that we might be able to implement. But so I, I, I think I've like done that. It's just now understanding the meaning behind it because mm-hmm. we do it. Because I noticed, like, so she says something in that book <laughs> called a sticky eye. Uh, which is funny. So the sticky eye is basically as you talk to someone, it's the eye contact, right? It's getting real like tentative on that person, concentrated. Don't look at me like that right now. But <laughs> but eye contact is one of the biggest things. But then in other cultures too, like eye contacts can be perceived different ways, right? So there was a study done like um, years ago, whatever, you know, in a black community, you know, in a household, the parents would tell their kids, don't look at me. Look down when you're talking to adults, right? So in certain black mm-hmm. cultures, eye contact is not something that they really do because they look at it as like a power control, whatever it is. In other Western world, you want to keep eye contact, right? Uh, so with the whole sticky eyes thing is like being very attentive when you're having a conversation, making sure you engage with the person, even like smiling. You know, I never noticed it, but when I'm at a door, I want to smile right away. But they say that take a 
10 minute or not 10 minutes, like 10 seconds, whatever it is, break when a person opens the door when you're talking to someone and analyze their face. Because, excuse me, whenever you smile, if you just smile, people can tell it's not genuine. But if you take that split second to dissect that person's face and you smile, you have crow's feet on the side of your eyes. That's you really smiling. Yeah, and that real, smile yeah, is meant smile for is them. Yes. You know, exactly. So it's like little <clears throat> things like that. So, again, from that book, I didn't I didn't know. So um, it, it just understanding certain things and then, you know, how to own the space. Right. The certain ways that you stand, you know, most people stand like this. That's a power dynamic. But if you take your arms and you put on the side and bring it inwards and have your thumb on the side of your hip, it's different. I'm trying to do that. It, it exposed different. It's, it's so crazy. It's, it is. It's it wild. Is. All the subconscious. Yeah, yeah. Too, I'll, I'll, I'll teach we... you another quick, quick, uh, because all of it is going through my mind right now. Quick tidbit. Um, when you're having a discussion with someone and they ask you a question, pause. Just pause. Don't answer straight away. Just think of the your answer. Even if you know your answer straight away. Five minutes, pause, and then you <laughs> Is it the awkward silence linger? No, no, it's 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 not so much no, no, awkward no, no, silence. But it is instead thing. of someone Sorry. going, Oh, wh- what is your favorite colour? Uh 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 black. Yeah. Instead of going uh 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 black, just, just think, yeah. Put thought into it and then That is true. The um the they talked about the guy who like releases after Steve Jobs died a new CEO. They said whenever he released like the new iPhone, whatever, there's a break when he speaks. Mm. And that break and that pause makes you as a person taking in that information exactly. to process what he's saying to, you know, engage with the product or whatever else it may be. But I'm, I'm sure I either read this in a book or I watched a TED talk about it, about the importance of, of just pausing. Yeah, when someone asks you a pertinent question, because also you don't want to give them the impression, hey, I know everything. No, we don't know everything. That's true. It also gives you the impression that you're like genuinely thinking about the conversation exactly. that you're having, right? Just for putting sure. some thought behind it. Mihata. Food for thought. We're leaving people I with. I love having you on the podcast. Well, no, it's, it's only 30 minutes, bro. It's always insightful. It's, not even it's, it's only 137. <laughs> we keep this conversation going. I'll, I Look, I love this. Like I said, it's it's one is for us to get to know each other. I think since I've been here since last August, now we're in a, a new year, it just a dynamic feels so natural with us, you know. And does, and I just does. think it's because one thing that you said when we were talking, well, I said that um, when I get home, I don't sit on my couch because I don't let my outside clothes touching my personal space. Yes, yes. And you yes. said, wow, you fit in with us. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't dissect or share that with you. You wouldn't have known that. Right, so I think, like I said, these conversations we have get to let us know the raw, and who we are yeah, as right. people, and who we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think I think you then then you start finding similarities between us, you know, and and uh, maybe builds a a bigger, stronger connection. That's true, hundred percent. Yeah. At least I know I can sit on your bed because you don't sit on it with dirty clothes. No. Dirty clothes. I can't do and it. And your <laughs> couch. Would do it. Yeah, I can't do it myself. That thing is. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, something I cannot do. How, so, things. with your kids, then though, because they don't know, how do you bring that? How do you instill oh, no, that? You can't control that. <laughs> no, no. What the idea? Do you lose about your children? mind? <laughs> no, uh-uh. it's children, kids. You just can't control. You just gotta accept it. Uh, so, when you start having kids, you you'll notice this. I'm sure uh, the day you start, uh, some of your uh, like rules of of how you co- it goes <laughs> out the window because you can tell your kid okay don't do this don't. they're still gonna do it you're about to lay down the law yeah <laughs> it's I not mean, happening I mean there's no only so much you can monitor a child you want to jump on his bed with his shoes I mean what you gonna do Bless he's you. gonna do it you're gonna tell him child please don't jump on the bed with the shoes and eventually he'll stop and he'll get over it they'll all get over it and then you you teach them so like now my uh, what Muhammad is ten. Muhammad is ten. He's gonna be eleven soon. I took him to buy deodorant for the first time. Wearing a small perfume, you know, it's a certain thing. Now you start teaching them slowly. Oh, about cleanliness. Now because he's going to reach an age where he's gonna start. Sm- I mean, he's a boy, so you teenage boys musty. stink. I mean, we know that. So it gets a bit musty. So just start teaching them. Oh, to see what we have to do. Stay clean. Uh, it started. Okay, you have to start learning how to make your bed. 
you have to start doing this. You say, okay, Muhammad, if you're jumping on your bed now, try to wear your uh, uh, track pants or to take out your, your outside clothes. And you, and you teach them as you go. And, and whatever your child learns and watches you do, that's eventually how they're going to live their life uh, at the end. And, and you won't even realize it now. It's totally subconscious. Like there's so many things that I do now that I must have told myself as a teenager or early 20s, I'm not going to do what my parents do. But I'm bloody copying my parents right now with most of the stuff that I do. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating. I tell my wife this all the time. You turn me into my mother or into, uh, into you know, it's, that's just how we are brought up. That's how we uh, ingrained. It's in our brain to mm. do that. Any questions? Questions. I have no more questions today. I think I was getting scared. He was gonna. This cowboy, no, I was sweating. We still got other episodes we're gonna do. Don't worry, we're gonna be in a hot seat again. We enjoy having you. Yeah, yeah, these episodes are always good. I enjoy them because we just talk about uh, it's 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 such a free flowing conversation and uh, and it has really nothing to do with uh, with uh, with sometimes our profession or whatever. It's just getting to life. know each other and it's life. real life. I'm just curious on how other people think. I think that's the biggest thing. This is one of the biggest gifts is um, to understand what makes you tick, what makes, you know, Muhammad tick. Mm. Like, w- how does he view the world? Because we all, w- when you look at me, you see something different. When I look at you, I see something different. When you look in the mirror, you see something different, right? So how is your perspective on things? That's why I feel podcasts and things along those lines like should be i mean i think a lot more people should do it i think so too and and i think the public now gets to know us and gets to uh, know our lives and so on and and you're gonna get haters out there you're gonna get people that i oh, love i him. love this character Beyonce, on he's the guy you know with a cowboy hat and uh, he's cool <laughs> i just want to watch his episodes and then you're gonna get haters too i'm sure there must be haters all the time, whether it comes from uh, me or anybody. It's, it's just part of life, and it's part of everything that we do. So uh, as long as you understand that and you know that you cannot control other people's thoughts and opinions on you. I never get affected by hate. Never get affected. I can't. In one year well, once you start other. getting affected by it, you're going to go into a spiral of depression, anxiety. And you know what is else. so wild? These people, like fighters, MMA fighters, right? would do the most obscene thing. You're going in a cage that you could lose your life by this man or woman. And these people will go in the cage, fight, and then they will see someone commenting on how they fought and their win and all this stuff and get a... Fa- I'm like, bro, <laughs> your mind is strong than anyone that we know. You're going in a cage to go fight for your life and that's how you make your money. And some troll out there who you don't even know leave a comment and you're affected by it. Like that's so to me that's mind boggling. Yep. I'm like, how, like how do you 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 things. can go do the craziest uh, training camp, go and almost kill yourself losing weight. You Literally. go in the cage, you fight, and then when you're done, you get so absorbed by someone else saying yeah, nonsense. Because, because remember, if you if you're physically strong, Mihasa, it doesn't mean you're mentally strong. I yes, mean, to okay, do that MMA, job, you got to be mentally... MMA f- fighters are mentally strong. They want to go for a champion. But that doesn't mean that they're emotionally strong. That's true. Yeah, that is true. So you got physical, you got mental, you got emotional, mm-hmm. you got spiritual. Maybe they're not... I guess that's why you see the guys that, you know, when the, they yeah. play mind games and they talk to each other and the guys that are mentally, like, they, they break them, you know, like, they, they talk trash yeah. and then the guys mm-hmm. that... Muhammad Ali was good at that. And yeah, then Conor McGregor. It was brilliant. I mean, because guys, because I mean, game. they had a perception on the of themselves that uh, Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. I am the you know. It was it was it was something. And you got to back up the trash. Yeah, talk. and he backed <laughs> up. <laughs> and if anybody backed up the trash talk, it was him. Yeah. Yeah, he backed it up what three times, right? He was world champion. Three Until times. he got knocked he out. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He got knocked out, but he was world, he, yeah, but yeah. he got his belt. Yeah. On three separate occasions. And uh, I mean, th- I mean the the biggest one, most probably the biggest boxing match in history was the one in against Foreman, right? Rumble in the jungle. And and if you watch that whole Rumble fight, Muhammad Ali caught a battering, and in that last round, uh, never forget, he's against the ropes, jup jup, pa pa, and he's gone. <laughs> so so imagine how mentally strong, physically fit he was, mentally strong. He's saying, I'm getting older because he was much older at that time. And George Foreman was a beast at the time. 
while he was killer. at the top of his career. He was a killer. And this guy just rode it out, rode it out, broke him, broke him, round by round by round, just by, just by, you know, defending, defending, defending. Found his opportunity, finished the game. Hmm. So similarly, in life, right, God, uh, people are not spiritual, whatever, but you tests are thrown in your life. I had an interesting conversation this weekend. About? You just, you talked about God. So, as I knocked, I meet very interesting people when I door knock, right? I'm sure a lot of people think you're like Jehovah's Witness or something. <laughs> well, no, it's not even that. So, <laughs> I mean, this probably be another podcast, but um, I meet this couple. The husband name is Bruce. Wife name is uh, Shelly. And to me, I, whatever religion you are, you want to talk about your religion, you know, I'm all for it. I'll listen to you. You know, because I feel one of the biggest things you can do as a person is being open to interpreting what someone else has to say. So we're outside across the street, and uh, he goes, what are you trying to sell me? I was like, I'm not here to sell you anything. He said, well, what do you want me to join your religious group? I'm like, no. I'm actually just out here trying to talk to people about real estate. He's like, well, you want to spread the word of God? Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm like, I've heard the guy's name. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people know him. He's like, what religion are you? So I tell him my religion. He goes, oh, you're Muslim. And I was like, why, why do you, like in my head, I'm like, why do you say it like that? He's like, come in, come in. I want to, I want to talk to you about, you know, Jesus. So like, okay. <laughs> and he shows me this video about this guy who's uh, debunking uh, the Islam faith. And he has this guys on, and the guys basically talking, you know, about the prophet, and there's a verse within the the Quran that doesn't really sit when you try to dissect and understand what this verse means and everything else. So he's like, you know, I found the Holy Spirit and this and that. You know, he's like, I, I mean, anyone can believe whatever they want, but I feel <laughs> when it comes time for saving, like these people who, and in my head, I'm just like you. And I could see the passion radiating out of him. And, and I was like, listen, I'm all for you sharing this. <laughs> the one of the biggest thing I just want to say, like the passion that you have, regardless if it's Christian, if it's Hindu, if like having a very fond appreciation for whatever you believe in is something that I can respect. Of course. You it's know? grounding. Yeah. So we were talking and uh, things along those lines, and um, it was just like, Man, you could just tell the vigor within his voice. It was, like, very powerful. So then I didn't want to be disrespectful. Like, can we pray for you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So I stand there. And, like, so the guy, I guess at some point in his life, he was a Protestant or something like that. Okay. And then uh, went to Christianity. And as he was praying, I'm standing there. I'm like, he started speaking in tongues. I was oh, like, bro. Yo. I left that place. I had to go home and do and, and, and pray, bro. I literally left. <laughs> I got my prayer mat out <laughs> and I prayed. I'm not even kidding you. And also, Muhammad, I gotta say thank you for the the prayer oh, mat man, too. You're by welcome, the way, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but man, it was like when I heard him speaking in <laughs> tongues. I was like, because in my heart, I knew nothing was gonna happen. Because I was like, man, regardless of what you're saying and what you're praying, I know in my heart what I believe in. You know, and I one of the biggest thing I feel as at the age of thirty one, I feel that the fact that I've seen other religion and to make a conscious decision to follow the Islamic faith at this age is now coming from in depths. Because mm-hmm. I feel when you're a kid and your parents take you to the mosque, you you, you just follow what your parents are doing, mm-hmm. right? And then as you get older, you just follow it. But you really, if you never understood or seen other faith, you can make an honest decision. Like now at this age, I'm doing this for me. You yes. know, I'm not trying to follow a narrative that like my dad still and, you know, this and that. No, I'm choosing. Do I want to go to Friday prayer? Do I want to pray, you know, before I leave my home? Do I want to do this? Do I want to read the Quran? Like, I'm making the decision now at the age of 31. So where I'm at, I feel now it's more of a profound thing within me. Then most people were just like, well, I was brought up like this, so therefore I have to follow this step and this road because I was brought up like this, right? So it's it's a different like feeling for me now than like most people, I would say, because I've seen it, I've seen it all, man. Like I've seen it all. But yeah, when they were when they were speaking in tongue, I was like, 
gotta gotta get out of here. Gotta go. Yeah, I said, "Miss me, holy water." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, it was like, man." And then his breath was hot too. So, and you got too close to the jugular. I was like, very close to the jugular. I was like, "Damn, your wife kissed you with that mouth, like, yo!" But um, hopefully he's not watching this, but. I love you watches. <laughs> I mean, you might be big oh, and something, man. you know. Hey, but you meet some fascinating people doing what you I do. meet. So that's the thing. So I get nervous like anyone else, right? Uh, one thing that I've learned, even people How who do are comedians. Honestly, I don't. I don't want to keep talking about my relationship, but man, I just, I just want to be able to know like this woman. And, like, the life that I've gone through isn't for nothing, right? And I know at some point I'm going to make it big. So that that's what literally just keeps me going. It's just, like, I know at some point I'm going to make it big. And um, if I don't give up on myself and I just constantly put one foot in front of the other, it's going to happen. Because at the end of the day, like, I could sit here right now. I'm going to go do this thing right after this podcast. I'm nervous. Because I don't know what kind of feedback I'm going to get. I don't know what kind of approach I'm going to get. I don't know how someone is going to react. If people are going to open the door, I have no idea, right? But at the end of the day, I've seen what a success yields because I've had a few tremendous amount of success in it, uh, which is one of the biggest and that keeps me going. But it's just like, man, I got to do it because this is the way I figured out how to feed my family. You know, we're talking about fighters, these guys and girls, they're, they're going to cage and they will so beat each other just to go make 50, 60 grand. Me, I just have to go have a conversation to make more than what they're making, right? But like you were say, like we stated about that uh, painting or picture that you have in your office, you know, my gift is to give away what I've learned, right? The communication aspects of what I've learned throughout my couple years of door knocking, to give away my negotiating uh, tactics that I've learned from door knocking, um, how to engage with some random person that you don't know to get in their mind for them to see things in your pers- uh, perspective and now trust you from a simple interaction you're knocking on your door to six months later I'm listing your house to now you're buying another house and you're thanking me because you met me. That's what keeps me going. But every day is a fight. Like every day I get nervous sometimes, man. It would cause me to like not want to go do it. But I just got to remind myself like I bank accounts are gonna low whatever it is man you know and um i i think as i get older like i just want to fe- feel how it, how it feels like to live that one percent to be that one percent like not have to worry about money not have to worry about when your bill is going to be paid what needs to be done how you're going to live can you take a vacation i don't want to be able, i don't want to worry about that so my goal is to get to that point where i don't have to worry about it so if it takes me knocking on the door hey i think we have to do a uh Another episode just focused on the knocking and and, and, some and of all the, of that the lessons stuff. behind yeah. that. You got a lot to teach us. We have to learn a lot. It's to it's teach. hard, man. It's not you know. I was talking to Bo today, who is the um, he runs the team that I'm underneath, and um, you know he was like, I just want you to focus on what you're good at. I'm like, bro, <laughs> this thing is nerve wracking. <laughs> I don't know if you talk if, uh, what you enjoy doing. I was like, bro, I don't enjoy knocking on a stranger's door. I just do what needs to be done. But when you do the, you know, most people would take the route of like social media. That's a very passive and easy. I don't know if it's easy. I wouldn't say it's easy because anything that can take you to the point of stardom and success is not easy, right? It has mm-hmm. to give something. So I wouldn't say social media is easy. But what I would say, even cold calling isn't easy, but it's not going up to a stranger who wasn't expecting you door and trying to convince them to utilize you as their agent is it's not an easy feat you know so it's very hard but i i think from the situation that i've endured being in liberia and coming to this country not knowing how to speak english properly has kind of helped me to endure these things to where i don't feel the nervousness as much as like most people, right? And then knowing in the back of my head, I've already had success in this. So I just got to keep, keep in pushing. essence, keep pushing. Keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah. And, and, and baby steps, right? You're going to hit that 1%. To hit the world's 1%, it's, it's not what you think it is. Not to hit a billion dollars. I think for you to be in the world's 1%, I think your, your income needs to be around 200K or 150K a year. But Texas in Dallas is 600. Uh, 
no, 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 no. It's even less. No, no, no. Six hundred in dollars. It didn't be the one percent yeah. in dollars. In dollars well, is six hundred. In the world, but in the world, it becomes way. Yeah. You're in the one percent of the world. Yeah. We are we are creatures of the world. We are not creatures of America. We are not creatures. We are just one of seven billion. Mm. Always remember that. We are not one of three fifty million. No, because the, 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 that's what I find so worrying about uh, American society is that the world does not revolve ama- around America. No, the world is the world. America is within the world. We are creatures of the world, and that is the way status quo is. And that's how we should coexist. That's the only way we're going to coexist uh, as people. That's how we start eliminating wars. It's a, this is the reason. Everybody wants to, I am this, I am that. You know, I, uh, you know, I have, that needs to be mine. That needs, to, no, no, we have to learn to coexist. And and first of all, it's it's a, it's a mental change where, you know, I'm I'm a citizen of the world. I'm not a citizen of America. I'm a citizen. I am the same as you. You cut, you cut both of us. We're both gonna bleed red. But that perspective <coughs> is a is a perspective from someone who one, I feel is being that you you have traveled, right? You've seen different things in life. You experience different things. It's easier for you to say, uh, but I feel most people who haven't traveled and you could back up in the U.S. A lot of people don't really leave. They go to California, go to somewhere that's not even that far out of the world. You got people who has never left the U.S. It's harder for them to have that perspective um, of like, where are the people of the world? Because, again, if that is the case, we won't have some of the political issues that we have right now. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, guys, let's call it a day. At the end of the podcast. Thank you, listeners, Mahana, viewers. Thank you again, bro. Thank you, Mehara. It's always a, always a pleasure. Thank you more. Thanks for watching today's episode of It's Go Time. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and leave comments uh, on all of our channels. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're on YouTube, and don't forget our Instagram and Facebook pages as well.